Welcome to Able Active Moms. Jeremy Brown and his guests are here to help the struggling moms better understand and manage their time for personal health. Now here's Jeremy. Hi. Thanks for listening in again to Able Active Moms. Um, My focus as a fitness and wellness person is helping people feel better about movement, helping people enjoy movement, helping people move more in their lives, right? So in general, we're becoming a more sedentary, um, a more sedentary culture and we're moving less and less year to year, day to day. So I decided with this show to come in at the ground floor and get a hold of the people who are running the families and try to get them to enjoy movement more and inspire their children to move more and their aging parents to move more. I grew up in a family that really had a big culture of movement. Um, we we played together, worked together, um, did martial arts together, uh, did aerobics together with mom. So that has inspired me to inspire whoever's in charge of fitness for the household, who I'm calling the the CFO, the chief fitness officer, um, which more often than not is the mother of the household. And um, in order to help them feel their best, we need to make sure that everything's working well. So today we are continuing last week's topic, getting to the the core of the core or the floor of the core. And we have uh, Suzanne Badillo here with us this week. Suzanne, hi. Thank you hi. for joining. Hi. Thanks for having me. Excellent. And we are going to be talking again, pelvic floor. This is part two of two on pelvic floor and pregnancy. And we'll be picking up uh, a little bit where Judy and I, uh, that's Suzanne's business partner, uh, where we left off last week, which was Judy and I kind of talked preparing for pregnancy, if you're planning on getting pregnant, if that's an idea for you, and then kind of starting to work our way through the way the body changes and the way the pelvic floor, the load on the pelvic floor changes as pregnancy progresses. So that's kind of where we're going to go today. Excited? Oh, yeah. Yeah, this is my, This I love talking about this. <laughs> this is the wheelhouse, right? <laughs> right, so, right. <laughs> um, well, you know, as as I was looking around, there's there's a lot of info regarding what happens at state different stages of pelvic of pregnancy. I'm sorry, and what happens to the pelvic floor through different stages of pregnancy. And certainly, um, teaching exercise, I slightly focus on different things as we work our way from. Well, congratulations, we just found out, and we work our way through the first and second and third trimester, um, preparing for delivery. And even as we work our way back into, you know, where we want the body to be after pregnancy. So how does that affect you and your patients in regards to the pelvic floor in different stages of pregnancy? Um, You know, that's a good question. You know, something I tell a lot of my, or tell my patients is pregnancy, it affects everything in your body, every cell in your body is affected um, from your nails, to your hair, to your muscles, you can tell your feet change, you know, all of those things. And it changes at various paces too. And since most of the time they're coming to me for some sort of pelvic issue or back issue, you know, we go more directly into that. But biomechanically, things are shifting and changing, our center of gravity is changing. And so a lot of times we, we take a look real specifically at what they're doing functionally. 
and how they need to move and how they're, you know, what strategies they're using, understanding that that can change along the way. And so, you know, knowing that there is, you know, a, a lot of change coming up. It's an interesting time because it's an expected change. You know, we expect things to change. We just don't know when and how fast it's going to happen. Um, and so a lot of it is, you know, I tell my patients a lot about recalibration. You know, sometimes we have to kind of mm-hmm. recalibrate as you have a growth spurt, as the baby has a growth spurt, you kind of have to retune, find your muscles again. And, and being active along the way allows us to do that, whether it's intentionally or not intentionally, we're, we're, we're kind of recalibrating ourselves as our body's changing and shifting. And when it comes to the pelvic floor, it's the same, you know, we, we try and, um, teach them if we haven't already beforehand, uh, how to utilize the muscles, how to activate them, how to relax them, all the different mechanisms of, of uh, the function early on, because later on in the pregnancy, as the body's changing, sometimes it's hard to sense all of that, you know, as the weight changes, as the pressure in that area. And so having that perspective is helpful early on so that, you know, they can, they can find them and understand the changes and have more perception of it um, later. Um, but you know, the, there's good evidence to say, you know, the women who do pelvic floor specific exercise, um, in, during pregnancy, that it's, it's helpful, um, after pregnancy and, and during the postpartum stages and beyond to protect from things like urinary incontinence, you know, so the women that do more physical, uh, pelvic floor specific exercises during pregnancy, it's, um, they have less uh, prevalence of incontinence afterwards. So we know that that's important. Um, and it's just, a, again, trying to make sure that it's appropriate for them along the way. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And, and I guess not surprising, right? And that gets back to one of the things Judy and I mentioned last week, which was it's never too early, right? And things we do now or things that, as I'm sure you would agree, things I wish I had known I should have done <laughs> 30 years ago, um, would make a big difference today, do make a big difference today. Um, right. And if you, I, I think recalibration is a really interesting word. I like that. I've not um, heard that before in relation to it. And certainly the people, the the women that I work with in pregnancy, the sensations in the body clearly change so much and and their ability to be in touch with their body completely shifts. So then I'm, I'm constantly asking questions. Like, how mm-hmm. does this feel? What does this feel? To, to all of my clients, always asking questions. How does this feel? What does this feel like? What do you feel working? What is this? What, is, what do you mean by tense or tight? And um, women going through pregnancy often don't have answers um, yeah. because, and it must be because of this sense of needing to recalibrate the body shifts, things change. Um, but clearly, the more that people are active or the more aware of their bodies and, and therefore in the pelvic floor, aware of their pelvic floor and that being also a muscular system, um, the more that they have a sense of things shifting and changing, right? Correct. You have, a, you have a, a starting point from which, you know, this is what it did feel like. This is what things feel like now. This is how things continue to shift. And as it shifts mm-hmm. day to day, at least you have some kind of touchstone for right. where thing, where you began. Right, right. And, and not so much that it's um, it's impossible to, to train that later on and to, to teach the, the, that perception and the, the, uh, the awareness later. But um, sometimes it can be difficult if we start, you know, if, if, if someone hasn't been any aware at all of the pelvic floor, 
And then in postpartum, that's where we start, you know, because there isn't that, that kind of basis or that perspective. Um, but it's pretty common. It is common that that's, that's where we start thinking about it because that's where problems um, is the first time a problem may have come up. Yeah. More common for problems to arise postpartum, postpartum. than postpartum because that's mm-hmm. clearly a, <clears throat> this delivery is trauma to the system and trauma yes. to the system can cause problems with, with the pelvic floor. Right. Well, looking at that. So Judy and I were talking last week about the differences between kind of the way muscles work in general, but the way the pelvic floor works, this idea of things being toned, strong, weak, tight, gripping, all of these different words should mean something different. And so often we just think of things being strong. I'm just like a muscle strong or it's weak, mm-hmm. but it, that it's, it's more layered than that, right? It and is. how does that affect the pelvic floor postpartum in looking at recovery? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, actually going back even a little bit to the third trimester, um, the third trimester, so just before, this is when we're preparing for the birth. And, uh, you know, you, you actually um, termed it pretty nice, not nicely, but uh, uh, appropriately that it's an expected trauma. You know, it's actually trauma to the system. So we're expecting this event to happen that's going to be an impact. Um, mm-hmm. And so the third trimester is when we start to train the muscles, uh, train the, 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 the mom on how to lengthen. You know, that's where we start to not only just work on okay, conditioning and strengthening, as you said, but also the lengthening and relaxation of the muscles and sensing that uh, because that's going to be very important if they're, you know, having a vaginal delivery. Um, and then postpartum, you know, you're, it's, it's important to assess the woman of what their status is because not everybody will have the same um, protocol, let's say, of do 30 Kegels a day, do it every day, do it mm-hmm. lying down, do, you know, all of that, that might be helpful for some, but generally speaking, just like as if you were to say injure your knee, um, you don't tell everybody just to do a bunch of squats, <laughs> that's how it's going to happen. You know, you have to, you have to see what's the, you know, where might there be a deficit or where might there need uh, be some opportunity to, to improve. And for some, it is really weak. And so we do have to strengthen. For others, it's the gripping or the tightness or the pain that we have to address. And that's where the lengthening and relaxation comes in. Um, so it is still variable, even in the postpartum stages, um, the early postpartum stages. And that's where the uh, getting an assessment is going to be really important. And it would be so amazing if getting an assessment were just normal course in this country. Ah, uh, yes, right? that, that's then, a whole nother. <laughs> I don't know if we're getting hour. into that. And no, that's so important. You're right. The first time I found out that actually also, I was shocked about this, that there is a, a rating scale for the health of a newborn mm-hmm. after delivery, but not for the health of the mother. Ah, that yeah. yeah, that that through this event, how well did the newborn come out? Well, we have a whole scale for rating that. But then the mom's like, well, you're alive. Go back yeah. to normal. Resume you know, your life. That, that's a great point. You know, there's there was a study that was um, put out some years ago now univer- at University of Michigan. And they, they looked at it as a small study, but it was a group of women um, that they uh, were observing um, that had a, quote unquote, uncomplicated vaginal delivery. And, you know, as an observational study to see what happens, you know, in an uncomplicated delivery, what happens musculoskeletally? And so they did a MRI 
of their pelvis at seven weeks postpartum. And then they repeated it again at six months just to see again, what do we see? And what's interesting about seven weeks is it's after six weeks. And six weeks is when you usually get the check from the OB or the midwife to say whether or not, you know, you're clear, <laughs> medically yeah. clear, which as you said, it's either, okay, yes, you're alive. You're, you're, uh, you're not, you don't have an infection. You're not hemorrhaging. You know, those major medical issues are cleared to make sure that all the healing is, is happening. Um, but at seven weeks, so back to the study at seven weeks, they took a, a look at these MRIs and what they found for these women is over 90% of them had some major musculoskeletal injury. And we're talking uh, muscle tears, edema, bone fracture, bone edema, you know, and these are women that are, you know, just kind of going along, taking care of their babies, going back to work, you know, (laughs) all those that likely it's not visible, you know, likely all those things aren't necessarily visible. There's probably some discomfort. There's probably, there may be some issues in terms of symptoms, but these are just generally, again, the uncomplicated deliveries. Um, And then they repeat it again at six months and, most of the, the inflammatory kinds of injuries had, in, had resolved. Some, some percentage still had some remaining muscle tear that was still visible, which was interesting. Hmm. Um, and so, you know, what was another interesting part of this study is they showed these images at the six-week mark or seven-week mark to these orthopedic sports medicine doctors um, who never met the, the women. They just saw the images. And what they, saw, they said was, this is what we see with extreme sport athlete injuries. Interesting. You know, which is interesting because we know what to do with athletes, right? We know exactly what to do when athletes get injured. They have a protocol. They rest. They don't go back into their sport too quickly. Um, They go into rehabilitation very carefully until they get back into their sport or game. We don't do that too fast either. But we don't have that standard for women. You know, we don't have that as a standard of care, knowing this is an expected trauma to our system. And so what this leads us more to, uh, you know, have evidence for is, Yes, we need to care for them as the standard. You know, we need to have the assessment knowing that there's the, you know, likely there's some uh, degree of injury that's happening and the demands that we put on, uh, the, the demands that are put on these women, they also are not sleeping well. They have to care for their baby. They have, to, you know, they're not resting like not. they would, you know, ideally want for someone who is in recovery. Um, yes. And these women also don't realize that that's, expected or that's not expected that it's uh that that's that would be helpful you know that that would be helpful to do um to go through this these stages of recovery like we would with any other injury you know yeah because all of these things these these list of list of injuries that you spread out sound sound really severe but there are all things that are dealt with day to day matter of course through 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 healthcare and physical yeah. therapy. It's not that odd. And all of these things are easy to recover from if you take the time and you see the right person and the right, right. person gives you the right advice. You have the, the right, right assessment. Is, yes. Yeah. The right mm-hmm. advice is not um, go back to whatever your life was before pregnancy as much as you can and right. deal with whatever symptoms in whatever way you can. Right. That exactly. is clearly not the message that should be getting out. Right, right. Yeah, it's and it's it's challenging because that's, um, you know, that it's hard to tell. It's hard to tell that the extent of injury, we don't do MRIs on all women after having babies. You know, it's not that we need to do that. But the assessment is still uh, important. And the acknowledgement that this is a time of, of recovery. 
what's interesting is, you know, at the time of these, this study, a lot of uh, major media outlets got the, got a hold of the study. And I saw on Cosmo, the headline was, uh, childbirth is an extreme sport, <laughs> uh, which is true. You know, it actually is. But I, you know, maybe we could let, talk about this after. But parenting is really the extreme sport because <laughs> afterwards you still have to run around care for this baby. You know, so it's the again the demand is is there for sure. The physical demand is there. And you're like the athlete that had an injury at halftime that they stick some ice on, wrap you up in a bandage, and send you back out on the court. Keep you're going. Like, yeah, keep work. going. You got it. Yet. Yeah. And I mean, one thing that's going to, I know, continue to come up um, over and over, uh, I'm sure it'll come up again today and then through episodes moving on, is advocacy and how you're going to have to, within our healthcare system, advocate for yourself and advocate for your children and advocate for your parents who are clearly going to need help navigating this because the resources are all out there but sometimes you have to work to get to them. Absolutely. Right. Advocacy, access, you know, getting the information out there is key. It's nice that we're starting to see more women coming out to uh, access the care, you know, actually initiating it uh, with their doctors. And it's nice to see more doctors are actually, um, you know, um, also recommending it more strongly than before as well. Excellent. But you're right. There's much more that needs to happen in that regard. And that just all comes down to education and information, right? More education, more information being more available, being these things being more widely recognized. Mm-hmm. And a culture shift. You know, it really isn't. It, it's it's great if we can just get more information, but there's there that hopefully also leads to a shift in how we continue, how we how we view maternal care. And as you said, even not just in this period of time, but throughout their lifespan. Which probably could also get into a whole conversation about a cultural shift on how we just view health and fitness and movement in general, right? Because we, mm-hmm. we, in a way, we treat people recovering, we, we treat people coming through out of delivery the way we treat everyone else. It's like, hit it hard. <laughs> Do as much as you can. Um, yeah, that's 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 rewarded, right? That's looked upon as a badge yeah. of honor. And uh, I mean, we're all going to get older, and that strategy is just not always going to work. <laughs> not sustainable. <laughs> it's not sustainable. Well, um, we're going to take a quick break. This seems like a good moment for us to move on. But when we come back, we're going to continue to talk pelvic floor postpartum. Um, signs and signs and symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction and when you know to advocate for yourself. So thanks for listening in. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. Move Ed is a new exercise system developed from the latest in science and designed to help you feel your body in a whole new way. Offering free online videos, live online exercise classes, and wellness tips and ideas on social media. Move Ed has options to help everyone feel and move better. Check us out today and start your new journey into physical health. 
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog? If you love our hosts and shows, check out articles that give an even deeper perspective. Plus topics about health and fitness, movie reviews, philosophy, business tips and tactics, spirituality, positive thought, current events, and even more about your favorite host. It's just a click away at blog.voiceamerica.com. That's blog.voiceamerica.com. The Voice America Press Blog. All access, all the time. Connect with us, and we'll connect with you. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is on LinkedIn. Get the first word about happenings with the network, where our next live event will be, and what's up with our hosts. Look up Voice America on LinkedIn. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. Welcome back to Able Active Moms. Have a question for Jeremy or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show. Welcome back. I am here today with Suzanne Badillo of Link PT in Evanston. And we have been talking pelvic floor and pregnancy. And um, right before the break, we were talking about advocacy and um, and information and healthcare and standard of care. And I know that I have had clients in the past who were clients before they got pregnant and through pregnancy and as pregnancy is going on, perhaps I even encouraged them before as soon as I found out that they wanted to get pregnant, maybe you should go see someone for pelvic floor care. Uh, okay. And, um, and then I bring it up again, a few months, a few, a few months into, into pregnancy that you should really go and see someone. I, I, it's not that odd. It's in a lot of countries, this is just a normal standard of care. Um, it's, it, it's not that weird. And then again, later, and then again, postpartum, I bring it up. And often people are very hesitant because it seems maybe scary and invasive. And it seems like it's a, a severe choice. And, and that's not true at all. Wouldn't you agree, Suzanne? I don't think so. No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Exactly. Yeah. No, I uh, probably, many people come in, um, not sure what they're yet to expect and a little worried about what this might entail. And I have to, you know, say that for the most part, I, I can't even imagine, I can't think of an, a, uh, an example of, of one that wasn't like this where they came out saying like, Oh, it really wasn't that bad. Or this is, this is good. You know, I, I, I was worried, but I'm good now. You know, it, it feels, this feels like this is what I need. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I'm glad that you brought that up. You know, when we talked about just, how this isn't necessarily quite the standard of care that we'd like to, to be um, definitely here in America, but 
it's really something shared along, around the world globally that we need to increase access for, for women postpartum. Um, but part of it is, yes, the education and getting the information out there. But I, um, it reminds me of the story of, this, uh, of a patient I had who I saw her for, she came in for urinary incontinence. Um, and she had a six-year-old. So this, this it had been happening since six years ago, postpartum, that she had incontinence that never quite got better. If anything, it was getting worse. And, you know, when I, when we talked about it and I talked about all the information and she got on a program, she said, you know, I wish I did this earlier. I said, I wish, she said, I wish I did this right after I had a baby. And, you know, my doctor did tell me about it. You know, I had incontinence at my six-week check. Um, she told me, you know, you could see a physical therapist, a pelvic floor physical therapist, or you could just do your Kegels, you know, and if it seems like it's getting worse or it's not getting any better, then maybe go see them, but it's up to you, you know, and that's fine. That seems pretty, pretty normal. But she said, you know, the way that it came across to her was, you know, as sort of the last resort or if it gets really bad, but most people don't need this. You know, so she felt like, well, mm -hmm. I could do this. I could do this on my own. Let me make sure I'm just going to do my own Kegels and life gets busy. You know, like, I mean, they have to consider that too. It's like, that's not the highest priority because it's not urgent. Yes. Um, and so she said, you know, if, if she were to tell me bedside after I had the baby or at the six week mark, here's the card, go see them. This is what you need. Go, go to, go to physical therapy. She said, I would have, I would have gone. Um, but it didn't seem like that was, uh, I guess, um, you know, as important uh, at the time where now I wish I would have started it earlier, you know, so it made me think of that story. And I think as practitioners, we, we have their ear, you know, wherever stage we're seeing them throughout their uh, lifespan that we could, you know, like you just said, you're advocating for it. This is something that is, is so great because they trust you, you know, the, the, your clients trust you. So as much as we can do our part to, to give the information and really, um, show them that that's worth it. This is the, the, their care and their progression and their recovery can really benefit. And, and because that's what I've done with clients, I know that then clients have done the same for their friends and they're mm -hmm. out at brunch talking with a friend <laughs> who, you know, Oh, I still don't run. You know, I, um, my child's now six years old and I still don't run because I still yeah. have urine incontinence when I run. The friend's like, this is not normal. No, right. You need to go and see this person yeah. or, or see a person who specializes in this. You can get this dealt with. Um, I mean, I think the, the amount of money and resources that have actually been spent on normalizing this are astounding. I mean, you said urinary incontinence, but, um, I don't know, about 10 years ago, it was rebranded as light bladder leakage. Oh, right. Because that sounds like a fluffier term and something <laughs> that maybe you can you can and should live with. And then products put out to help deal with light bladder leakage, mm -hmm. which there are I, there are people who will have to manage and deal with this for their lives. But for the large percentage of people who have women post- Partum, that is something that's completely manageable as um and but that's kind of the only symptom that we Judy and I talked about last week or the only one we brought up this week, but there are a lot of other normalized um postpartum pelvic floor symptoms that we can right. really go into right true, right, yeah, you know, probably the most common postpartum pelvic floor uh 
disorders are, so you said urinary incontinence, which could be either stress incontinence or urge incontinence. There's different, there's various kinds of, of urinary incontinence. There's also fecal incontinence, um, so loss of stool. Um, some people have difficulty with, with controlling gas. That could be, you know, quite embarrassing for many, and that's something that we can work on. Um, there's uh, pain, so pelvic pain, oftentimes pain with sex. That's also very common, um, both in the early postpartum and then throughout, um, as well as prolapse. Those are probably the, you know, the common things. So prolapse is when there's more of a uh, descent or dropping of the, of the pelvic organs um, that could um, impact their, their day-to-day. They might feel pressure. They might feel like a little bulge that's coming out at different times of their day or when they're going to the bathroom. And so those are things that we screen for as well as assess for um, postpartum because those are pretty common. Mm-hmm. There's um, what's interesting, you know, there is this longitudinal study that was put out by Johns Hopkins some years ago, and it's I think it's still ongoing. But basically, what they're looking at is uh, it's called mother's outcomes after delivery. So looking at the mo- uh, looking at moms at, at delivery, and then tracking them throughout their lifespan for these pelvic floor disorders to see when. When does this start to become a problem or when is it more prevalent, uh, I guess? And some of the preliminary data, it's really interesting. It's fascinating to me. It's, um, it's things like stress incontinence, the urinary incontinence. The peak of prevalence for that so that when it starts to increase them or when it's more, more common is at five years post. Wow. So five years postpartum, you know, which is really interesting. It's not just immediately postpartum. It doesn't always get better. If anything, people may find that it's, they, they can, it appears more around that time. And I think about, you know, what's the context of that woman's life? She's got a five-year-old now, you know, <laughs> so she's probably doing jumpy houses and, you know, at birthday parties and, you know, playing on the playground and, and uh, climbing up the gym, you know, the jungle gym and things like that. And the demands are higher. And if the, you know, the, the, the muscle function hasn't been attended to um, optimally, then, you know, thing, the demand is higher, but the, 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 the muscle function hasn't quite reached that level. Um, things like prolapse. So pelvic organ prolapse, the peak for that is at 15 years post. Wow. Yeah. So now she has a 15 year old, right? Mm-hmm. And time has happened, you know, and her, she's a different stage in her life. You know, she may be more perimenopausal. You know, there's a lot of um, impact that we're seeing that doesn't always happen at the time of those first three months after birth. But if, you know, my brain goes to early intervention, you know, how can we, um, catch things earlier to make sure that they're optimized, you know, that their system is optimized and that they're on a good program and being monitored, you know, throughout the lifespan, because it doesn't always just go, go away. Many times, you know, I feel like we're, our society has felt like, okay, for women after having a baby, as it, as it pertains to this, you're either in the lucky or unlucky category, <laughs> you know, <laughs> it's either you bounce right back or, oh, oh so too bad. You have, uh, you have issues, but you know, what we're seeing is there's things to do about that. Yes, some people might have these effects more, more uh, severely, but there are some things that we could do to affect, you know, the progression of, of any of these issues that hopefully um, the sooner the better. Ideally catching them while they're still small issues, just small muscle strains, small muscle tears. Right. Um, and not as a, affecting their life. Yeah. Just a matter of retraining function again before it starts to trickle down and cascade into something um, larger and right. more impactful. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Yeah. And what you were saying before of recognizing some of these things um, and, and uh, seeing somebody or making sure your healthcare provider is aware when these symptoms come up, that it might not be that, oh, well, I had leak a little bit. Um, that's normal. That's something that I just had a baby. Well, it's important that that gets checked out so that that can be tracked and we can see, can we intervene early? Um, and having some of these symptoms, again, life gets really busy. And if we don't know that that's a big priority, it, it's hard to, 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 um, to really address it really quickly <laughs> unless we know it's really important. Absolutely. As you're saying, it needs to be put out there as, as a, a, a major um, a major resource that's available that's really useful that this is something that you really should have checked out. It's not, it's not even really optional. It's in your best interest. It is the highest standard of care that is available to you at this point in your, your journey. Mm-hmm. And that should be really pushed as that. I mean, that'd be ideal. So like, that's, that's this idea of like, it's never too early, right? Um, that can we, how early can we catch things? <laughs> and um, being that I, we are all a little older, um, whenever it it's always surprises me, I'm out with friends and people find out, people who I don't know find out what I do, which is mostly about core function and pelvic floor health and breathing. And then the way that affects movement and mm-hmm. a way that th- we retrain your body so that it works with function of that whole core system, right? How does that work? And then, so then I always get stories about someone who clearly is going through what you mentioned, that their kids are now teenagers and they didn't maybe realize early on that things were that bad or the symptoms were very subtle. And then, so then 15 years later, 20 years later, they're finally going to pelvic floor therapy to get something fixed. Mm -hmm. And so, as a whole, these issues clearly do not resolve on their own. Um, is it ever too late to to deal with these things? Is this is this always fixable? Is you know is it is it ever too late? It's never too early. Is it ever right? Too late? Yeah, you know, uh, I get that question a lot too. Where you know, as patients are coming in or they're inquiring, you know, should we start this now? It's been a while. Um, you know, and I. I I, I like to use the, uh, the similarity. It's a similar to any other part of the body, you know, um, even if you have say an old shoulder injury or something like that, or if you feel like, well, I haven't really kept up with my exercises or kept up with my function of say this certain area, you can still improve your fitness. You can still improve your muscle function, your strength, however it, it may be. And this area is no different, you know? So there is some, um, there, there is still a lot of opportunity, you know, mm-hmm. to improve your, your function and, and your health. And, and, you know, I think of this as, you know, when we ca- talk about these disorders, they sound very medical, but it really is a fitness issue. You know, I mean, it, it really is. Um, and, and when we think of it that way, it's helpful because it seems changeable. You know, it's something that, yes, if I can address it, things can improve as opposed to a diagnosis where, well, this is what you're stuck with. You know? <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, you know, so if we think of it, and I think a lot of uh, my patients find it some, of somewhat of a relief when it is a muscle issue. When I say, oh, there's, a, there's, a, there's an issue with how your muscle's functioning, then it sounds very changeable. And it is, 
You know, we just have to make sure it's the right parameters to use. Um, but yes, I, I think yeah. that there is, some, and, and it changes in our life as far as what, what are the priorities and goals? You know, some things might have not been the time to address because it wasn't really, um, that wasn't anything that came up too much. Now someone might be in a, you know, wanting to run a race, you know, and, and yeah. now they're realizing, oh, wow, when I really challenge my system or I start to do these, uh, you know, start to jump rope, I start to do these box jumps. Now I'm starting to really feel some of these issues. So it's definitely not too late. We just haven't really addressed it in that way yet. Because the system's being challenged differently. Looking at this as part of fitness and part of a muscular system, you start to challenge it more. And then because the pelvic floor is a muscular system that is tied in to so many other systems, that's why we get so many symptoms from it. It is part of the reproductive system and part of our excretion system. And so our urinary system. And so we, again, you get all of these medical diagnoses and these medical terms, but it it is really about how you build a muscle function and muscle strength back into the system of the pelvic floor being part of your core and being part Mm -hmm. of your abdominal strength and your back strength and your hip and your hip flexor and gluteal strength and the way right. these things all support each other. And and you're right. I think that does make it a lot less scary for people. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as we move on in life too, you know, certain ailments or certain symptoms come up in various parts of our body. Um, but for the most part, we know that there's things to do that we could do about that. You know, if I start doing, you know, joining a class and I'm doing box jumps too, and my knee starts bothering me, or I start to get soreness in certain areas, I have to see, okay, how do I adjust this? How do I uh, train differently? You know, how do I make this so that I can um, improve whatever my goal is to do, um, knowing there's something to do about it? And I, I think if we can think of it that way, then it's it, it's not so much of a, well, well I just need to stop. <laughs> I just need to stop yeah. running or whatever it is, because now this, this symptom is happening. Um, it's, it's important just to get that checked out. Yeah. And never encourage people to stop. Like maybe we adapt yeah. a little bit, maybe we change, maybe we back off while we try to figure out what's going on, but try not to lose anything. Yes, especially something that gives them joy, you know, yeah. some an activity that that they love. Great. We'll find a way to make that happen. <laughs> no, there's <laughs> nothing there is nothing more heartbreaking than the person who loves to run coming in and and convinced that they will never run again. It's Yes. They're just so clearly like emotionally and mentally defeated and at a loss. Like, oh, this is what age means that that I slowly, one thing at a time, have things taken away from me. It's like, yes. No, no, no. This is we can we can work with this. We can deal with this. There are ways to address it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, and that's why it is so important and so valuable. What we do because what you do because. Um, it's so clear what to do when you injure a shoulder and it's maybe a little less clear what to do when you injure your pelvic floor, injure some deep part of your core, mostly because your core, your pelvic floor and the rest of your core is so unseen. Yes. So complex too. Mm -hmm. Um, There are so many parts that go into it and um We are going to take another quick break, but after we come back, we'll be talking about um, 
the abdominals a little more actually and that part of the core and the way that the pelvic floor relates to that and the way that that we look at recovery for this whole system. Um, so I look forward to getting into that in just Great. a minute. We'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Move Ed is a new exercise system developed from the latest in science and designed to help you feel your body in a whole new way. Offering free online videos, live online exercise classes, and wellness tips and ideas on social media. Move Ed has options to help everyone feel and move better. Check us out today and start your new journey into physical health. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Have you become a member yet? Sign up now to become a member of Voice America. It's always free and easy. Plus, you get to take advantage of some great member benefits. Get unlimited access to millions of hours of on-demand content across all of our channels. Keep track of your favorite episodes, shows, and hosts in your own customizable library. Find out what shows you might be interested in based on your favorites. Plus, you get insider access with our newsletter. Membership gives you more. Sign up at voiceamerica.com and click register at the top right. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health and Wellness. Welcome back to Able Active Moms. Have a question for Jeremy or his guests? Join us on the show at 866-472-5792. That's 866-472-5792. Now back to the show. We are here today on Able Active Moms talking pelvic floor and pregnancy with Suzanne Badillo. And right before our break, we were starting to get into maybe the pelvic floor a little more dynamically. And the pelvic floor is part of the system of the core and um, returning to your state of fitness um, after pregnancy and and you know what's normal and what's to expect and what do you have to go through actually um this is maybe a topic that we didn't come up that it wasn't up on our radar but i would like to mention uh i think it was just last year or two years ago they actually put out a protocol for pelvic floor and running postpartum is that correct yeah something like that yeah that uh, that case, I, w- I believe it was published maybe in 2019. Um, it's the first time that there was any sort of um, 
real guidelines, I guess, uh, that was, it was um, brought to public, uh, was authored by some physios from the UK and Ireland, but it was a, it was a, a large group of physios across the uh, world, actually, that contributed to the information. And basically what they are is some evidence-based guidelines on uh, return to one run postpartum. And it's very comprehensive of looking at various aspects musculoskeletally on what it, you know, the, the considerations when a woman wants to return to run. And as we talked about earlier, there used to be really the guideline of, okay, it's six week check. If all things are good, <laughs> you're good to go. See how you feel. Hope you're, you know, hope it goes well. Um, but right now, in, and as PTs, you know, again, we do some individual assessments and all that, but there wasn't really a lot of, you know, uh, real specific evidence based guidelines. So, what this kind of leads us to understanding are just guidelines on what to consider, what to assess along the way, maybe in the first three months. What can we start to focus on in terms of the rehabilitation part? What do we do at three to six months? Or, yeah, I'm sorry, the uh, first uh, three months. I mean, sorry, the first, um, uh, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, three weeks, three months. And then what do we do beyond that, you know, as we go along? Um, and so generally speaking, even as someone is, uh, you know, let's say that they were running throughout their pregnancy, you know, there's no other real pelvic floor symptoms, everything else is checking out okay in terms of pelvic floor function postpartum, we still don't have them start running like on an actual running protocol until at least the 12 week mark. Wow. Yeah. So that's actually a lot longer than most of uh, most people think um, where they're ready to go at six weeks if all if their energy levels good and everything else. But actually, because of the healing time, you have to respect the healing time of the body, as well as energy levels, as well as, you know, other muscles around the system that we ju- you just talked about that have to contribute to this impact, you know, of running and repeated running that those tissues also and muscles also have to be prepared. And when you think about all that has to happen during pregnancy and the the growth, the movement, the expansion of what we call the core, that also has to um, uh, kind of be assessed and and rehabbed back um, to to be able to take on that load, you know? And the way that these changes affect the hips and the feet, certainly the feet and the alignment, which is mm-hmm. clearly going to be so important if you're talking about running. Um, right. Absolutely. <laughs> your connection from the ground up through your core. Um, yeah. I just brought up recently, and this is, this is correct me if I'm wrong, uh, but relaxin is released in your system through pregnancy, right? And that causes um, greater um, mobility through your soft tissue. Right. Mm-hmm. And my question is, this is, this was what I commented and I believe this is right. Relaxin is continued to be produced by your system as long as you're breastfeeding. To some extent. Yes. Um, it's still, you know, the, the amount that's, that's in your system during pregnancy is still much greater, you know, it's mm-hmm. a significantly greater amount than postpartum. So even if you are breastfeeding, it reduces quite a bit the first few days. Okay. Um, but there's still other changes in your system, the estrogen, the progesterone, you know, all of that is also in, in some transition, which can contribute to joint laxity as well. But the relaxin itself, you know, there's still um, some women are more sensitive to those hormonal changes as long as they're breastfeeding. And so you're absolutely right that that should be in consideration, too, of, you know, how much um, how much of a, a load can, can the, are the 
tissues ready for. Not to mention, if you're still breastfeeding, the breasts are very heavy, you know, yeah. and it and and so timing that could be also something we can guide on or or consider, um, and that changes how we carry in the spine and uh, you know how that impact is is distributed as well. Um, so so that that can make a difference in those first few months. So that's why we're looking at things being at least 12 weeks out where the at system least. is start to have more resilience and like a better return to support away from gravity. Yeah. Um, and because yeah, we get, this is high impact, right? It is. Um, yeah. Yeah. And also, it, when it, I'm sorry, when it, so, when it, um, even in the, uh, what we even think about as normal physiological recovery, the uterus itself you know, has to take, it takes about at least six weeks for the uterus to return to its pre-pregnancy location and size. So that's a long period of time. So even if you're feeling like really pretty good and, and otherwise okay, we still have to respect that period of time. Um, and from there, still the body is still trying to adjust and, and uh, accommodate for the healing and the recovery that needs to happen. Yeah, we're that's fantastic. There's that there's a resource that takes into account all of these different layers of this recovery and gives a, a more standardized protocol of how you would help mm-hmm. someone transition back into their goals and into their life. Um, that's wonderful. I I love that things like that are becoming so much more available. It just goes with this idea that information is definitely getting out there and people are making use of it. Right. The research is, is becoming more strong, which is great. There's more, more investment <laughs> in the research world in, in this, in maternal care. Um, but, you know, yes, there's those guidelines in first terms of timing. But for us as physical therapists, there's, guide, there's guidance on what to assess. There's actual specific screening tools and, and what areas to, to assess more specifically to make sure that these, um, the repetition is is uh, being accounted for, you know, for these women. Yeah. Um, what One thing, uh, just to shift a little bit, one thing that there's actually not a lot of research on, and I know I've, I've done research on research, you know, searching for research, and that is on what happens to the abdominal wall during pregnancy. And, or it, it can happen actually for many reasons, much like pelvic floor disorder, and that's diastasis recti, a separation of the central line of your abdominal wall so that the abdominal wall starts to separate left to right. You know, we get like this vertical split, um, which again, can happen for many reasons in our lives. It often happens to men later in life. Um, it can happen from extreme athletic training, but it is most common um, as, as you know, pelvic floor issues, most common during pregnancy, clearly because of the stretching of that space due to mm-hmm. the, the change of <laughs> the growth of a baby inside in this. Right. right. So there's very little research on diastasis and diastasis recovery and um, what the symptoms are of that and what it causes. But um, it is, what is clear is that with more severe, severe cases, it should be addressed. Is is that true? Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, there's, there's more uh, research emerging, I I Mm -hmm. should say, you know, on this, in this area, there's quite a bit of studies out there, but the, 
the evidence is still variable on the strength of how of these because the parameters are so different on what different studies show. So that's where it's hard for us to make strong recommendations on absolutely do this exercise this many times, you know, because it, it comes down to, well, it depends. It depends on, on the individual and what they need. Uh, it's back to the, the examination. But the, um, you know, the, the, uh, the, the importance of it is the function. You know, we've gone away from being uh, very, the, taking the priority on how much distance of the separation it is, and that's still important to, to understand. But we want to see when they're actually doing um, any kind of functional activity with the muscles that are with the abdominals, that the muscles can approximate and come together and that they can hold that load. And if there's any tension in between and then they're using the underlying muscles. So we look more at how those muscles are functioning in real life and in different activities, as opposed to, you know, just the, 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 um, the measurement of the mm-hmm. distance. And that's yeah. where you probably, you know, you are doing a lot more of the retraining of the whole system to make sure they're utilizing those muscles appropriately. Yeah. I, I have some some videos out on YouTube of breathing and uh, trying to use breathing to get into core function and to to shift the alignment of the ribs, which is huge post-pregnancy. And I yes. think that's actually also huge in diastasis recovery. And And very soon, actually, I'll have a few videos up about diastasis recovery in relation to this just that's great just the same as you said getting these muscles through breathing and through awareness Mm -hmm. to approximate and then slowly loading that systematically loading that very gently um and of course this is all anecdotal as to whether or not this is helpful these exercises are helpful because it's not real clear but um anecdotally i i have yeah had a lot of people who have recovered from that it's not again just like pelvic floor um, disorder is not something yeah. that is there forever. And mm-hmm. uh, yeah. And, and, you know, as you brought up, it's the whole system working together. And so the breathing, the pelvic floor, the spinal muscles, you know, it is important to understand how those muscles are working in context of it, because the separation by itself doesn't really mean anything, but how that, you know, maybe there's some uh, reason for, um, those muscles, you know, kind of acting in a certain way. But once, once we, we integrate the whole system, then we might see that it, it becomes much more functional. Yeah. Always so valuable to find someone who can like look at you as a whole picture and a whole, right. whole like what is your whole, what's the whole story here and how exactly. is this all affecting it? Yes. Um, well, unfortunately, because this could go on for a while, I'd love to talk for another hour, but <laughs> that is kind of where we are today. Um, that was fantastic. I want to thank you so, so much for joining us, Suzanne. Um, tell us, like, how can people reach you? What what sure. resources do you have out there for people? Sure, thanks. Um, I'm at Link Physical Therapy, L-I-N-K. We're in Evanston, Illinois. Um, they can visit our website, which is linkpt.org, L-I-N-K-P-T.org. Um, I could be emailed if anybody has any questions directly. I'm at Suzanne, S-U-Z-A-N-N-E at linkpt.org. Excellent. And um, just a general pelvic floor, great pelvic floor research for anyone out on the web. Anything? Um, What is it? Is there a great pelvic floor research just resource out there on the web available to everyone? Yeah, you know, um, I think Judy also mentioned our, our professional organization, the American uh, Physical Therapy Association. We have the Academy of Pelvic Health. Um, our 
our that's our governing body here of our profession, and they, that's a good resource because we have our journal there too, where it has some really good um, research that is out there and current. Fantastic. Um, thank you. And I, I appreciate so much you coming on and sharing all of your knowledge with us, really helping to get all of this out there. So happy to do it. Thanks for inviting me. My pleasure. Um, next week on the show, we will be talking inflammation and um, and autoimmune issues um, with through pregnancy with a friend of mine, Shannon Hirschman, a Pilates instructor and wellness instructor. We're going to be talking about her journey um, as a mother of two, almost three. So I hope everyone joins us again next week. But thank you for listening in as always, and have a great week. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of Able Active Moms. We hope the moms out there have learned something useful to help them with their own lives. Until we talk again, have a fantastic week.